Second Peter in the chapter 2, we're just going to read the opening three verses uh, this evening. The verse 1, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. Amen. We trust and pray the Lord will bless the reading of his word to our hearts. I want to look at these opening verses uh, this evening under the heading, The Dangers of False Teachers. The Dangers of false teachers. Let's just pray together. Father, we just ask thee now with thy word open before us that thou will come and minister to our hearts. O God, we are poor and needy, but thou dost think upon us. O God, think upon us even in these moments as we are in thy word. Write thy word upon our hearts. Teach us, O God, tonight. Apply even thy word to each one. In Jesus' name. Amen. Having went from the heights of chapter 1, we now come into the lows of chapter 2. We've just finished a wonderful section in this little epistle in which Peter, as he's been making his way through it, as he's been writing it, he has brought to us his own personal experience of the Mount of Transfiguration. Important to remember whenever you consider those words that Peter wrote, about the Mount of Transfiguration. He is the only one who does so. Out of the apostles that were there, we come to it whenever you think of it in Matthew and in Mark. Well, you're getting Matthew's account or you're getting Mark's account. Whilst we believe Peter had an influence upon Mark, but it is Mark's writing. But whenever you come to Peter, Peter here is telling us exactly what he saw and exactly what it meant to him. And so you have that primary a witness account of the blessed mountaintop experience. And then he finished the chapter by reminding us of the perfection, the infallibility of Scripture, that sure word of prophecy that the Lord has given unto us, that word that has been written down by the holy men as God was, or as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And we come from that wonderful ending of how precious and how perfect, and yea, how powerful this book is. And then we start chapter 2 with the word, but. Quite often in scripture, but is used for the start of something that is positive. Quite often in scripture, when you see the word, but, then you're looking forward to what follows afterwards. Just if you think of one occasion, well, Acts chapter 12. James is put to the sword sword by uh, Herod, the king, and Peter is put in prison. And then it comes to that little line that says, but prayer was made. And that really was the turning of that whole chapter. It started with the but. I believe it was Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great preacher, who is quoted as saying, thank God for the buts in Scripture. (coughs) Well, this is not a positive but. This but heralds us not only into a new chapter, 
but also into a very negative place in Scripture. Indeed, a number of commentators, as I was studying for this message, all introduced their thoughts in these opening verses with pretty much the same language. And as they come into Second Peter, it is their belief that you're coming into one of the darkest chapters in all of Scripture. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who thanked God for the bots in Scripture, said this, Of all the chapters which are found in the entire Bible, this second chapter of the second epistle of Peter is among the most terrible. He goes on to explain why. There is threatening, there is warning, the idea of doom, disaster and destruction. There is nowhere in Holy Writ itself anything which surpasses this particular chapter. Though this may, and it certainly is, a negative chapter in Scripture, it is a very serious and it is a very solemn chapter. Nevertheless, it is an important chapter. Peter is coming to the end of his life and in his last will and testament, as it were, he is giving a very sincere warning to the believers. A very sincere warning to the church of Christ that will survive even after he is gone. He's reminding them, he's highlighting them, he's warning them of the danger that there is. Paul did the exact same. Paul did it to the Ephesian elders his last time of meeting with them over in Acts chapter 20. And it is the verse 28 and 29. Whenever he meets with them and they come to him, he says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves, to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. So Paul's last words to the church of Ephesus were words of warning. Watch out, there are wolves in sheep's clothing. There are wolves that are going to come in amongst you. Now false teachers in the church are nothing new. But it is important to highlight that though time may pass, the danger of those false teachers and the danger of false teaching does not pass. And it does not get less. It does not dilute as time goes on, as centuries pass. The danger is still as strong and as real today as it was when Peter wrote this epistle. The devil can and does wreak more havoc from within than he ever does from without. Entire denominations and congregations have been led into the world and into apostasy not from outside the walls of the church but from within those that even stood in the pulpit peter did warn the believers to be sober and to be vigilant and that is something that still is needed within the church of christ today and the sad thing is it happens down through biblical history and down through church history. You can go into the Old Testament and you can go into the New Testament and you will find there have always been counterfeits. There have always been wolves amongst the flock. There have always been agents of the devil raised up to infiltrate the church. 
and to take away the people from following and believing in Christ. In Moses' day, there were the sons of Korah. In David's day, there was the Absaloms. In Elijah's day, there were 400 prophets of Baal. In Ezekiel and Jeremiah's day, there were the false prophets who presented an easy and a comfortable religion. There is nothing new under the sun. False teachers are still about today. Racking and ruining and destroying whatever they can. Why are they dangerous? Well, three things I leave with you. Firstly, the verse 1, for their deception. They are dangerous for their deception. Verse 1 of chapter 2, it says, There were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies. Always important to remember, to understand, that false teachers are the servants of the devil. They are not the servants of Christ. They are not the servants of the church. They are the servants of the devil. They are doing the devil's work. And the devil, after all, is the great deceiver. He is the master of deception. You find that over in 2 Corinthians in the chapter 11, the verses 13 to 15. Because it says over in that passage, it says, for, there, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. The devil is the master of deception. And therefore his servants, his, or his ministers, his agents, will be masters of deception also. The devil's deception, when you think of it, well, you can go right back to the very first book of the Bible, you'll find deception. When he spoke with Eve, he sought to deceive her. He began with those words, Hath God said... And he proceeded to go on to trick her even into that sin. No, you won't die, but rather you'll be as gods. And subtly the deception's there. The great deceiver is at work. And over the centuries, the great deceiver has never quit. He sought to deceive the church and its people. You could say over the centuries, really, the master, all he's done is refined his art and his craft. He is the master of deception, but he also has many methods of deception. You study the New Testament scriptures, the devil has used every method at his disposal. There are false Christians in John 8, 44. There's a false gospel in Galatians 1, the verses 6 to 9. There's a false righteousness in Romans 9 and the verse 30. And in the future there will be a false Christ. The great Antichrist, Second Thessalonians, the chapter 2. You notice the words which Peter uses here in verse 1 of chapter 2. Because he speaks that these false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies. Now the language is strong. 
There is no place given to the beliefs or the teachings of these men. They are damnable heresies. In other words, they are doctrines that have absolutely no place within the church. And they have absolutely no truth in Scripture. But you notice Satan doesn't bring them in openly with fanfare. There's no pomp and ceremony. He doesn't just have a press conference and say, this is what I believe. He brings it in quietly. Sneaks it under the radar. He seeks to sow the seeds of falsehood. Deception. We comment here. We comment there. The ministers even of the devil. The false teachers will use the Bible. But not to enlighten. But rather to deceive. They will take a verse or a line. They will just plug it straight off the page and they will just twist it whatever way they want. And they will use it to spread a thought, to spread a notion. Taking verses out of context just to deceive the people. I seen a video just the other day of a so-called... Bible teacher in America who tried to explain that the Lord was for same sex and homosexuality. And he took the verse where the Lord said to Lazarus, Lazarus come forth from the grave from death as the Lord encouraging individuals to come out. It's a pretty far fetch to get to there. But they will take just a line, just a phrase And they will simply try to turn it. That's how far individuals have gone. That's where individuals are at. The false teachers as they seek to deceive. You come again to the Garden of Eden. The devil didn't simply walk into Eve and go Eve. God's telling you lies. Don't believe what God said. God said you're going to die. No, no, no. He started with the words. Hath God said. And he then got her to speak and he then twisted those words and he just worked and worked. He didn't just come out with it straight away. He worked. Began by questioning. Then he went on to deny. And then he brought his own teaching. Ye shall be as gods. The false teachers in the church know the Bible. The devil knows the Bible. They know what God has written. Some of the greatest students of the text are those who wish to use it to deceive. They know how to bring scripture. They know what verse just to lift a little bit from and just to start and just to weave their whole web around it. They'll bring doctrines and then they'll use those doctrines and they'll have them just as close to the truth as possible. But not the truth. None are greater at it than the Roman Catholic Church. They can bring out a statement. They can bring out a teaching. And you could read it for the first time and maybe you just glance over and you're like, I'm not finding anything wrong with that. And you have to dig deeper. Read it over again because they're very good with the English language, very good with grammar and diction. And you just go over it again and again and then you have to bring yourself around to the question, 
Right, it sounds right, but what are they not saying? And the deception's in there. We have to be wary of false teachers for their deception, for their lies, for that which is not the truth. We have to be on guard. Firstly, was their deception. Secondly, is their denial. Second half of verse 1, it says, Even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Very important to remember, false teachers are not saved. I say that again, false teachers are not saved. Jude in his little epistle going down quite the same line as Peter because Jude in verse 4 he says there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to condemnation and then he says this ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ Jude would then describe them further in Jude in verse 19 these be they who separate themselves sensual Having not the Holy Spirit. Judah's making no uh, distinction as it were. He's making it, leaving it in absolutely no doubt. False teachers are not saved. Peter will refer to them, Second Peter 2 in the verse 22. He refers to them as dogs and pigs. And the very simple truth is this. Anyone who denies the Lord Jesus Christ cannot be saved. That encompasses any part of the doctrine of Jesus Christ. That even includes the inspiration and infallibility of Scripture. If individuals are willing to say that the Bible is not inspired and is not infallible, and they're saying that there's problems or there's, there's mistakes in it, or they don't believe all of it, then there's a great problem with their salvation because it's not there. You go to John 1, verse 1, what does it say? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. You go on down John 1, and then it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. So from Genesis to Revelation, this is Jesus Christ. It's not simply a book. This is Christ. This is God's Word because it is from God. So if an individual is denying scripture, they are denying Christ. If they deny his deity, they're denying Christ. If they deny the virgin birth, if they deny the sinless perfection, in other words, that Christ never sinned and Christ could not sin. If they deny his atonement, if they deny his death, or if they deny the physical resurrection, if they deny salvation by grace through faith alone, if they deny sin, if they deny judgment, if they deny hell, if they deny any or all of it, they can't be saved. It's not about how much theology a person knows or what church they are members of or what sacraments they have partaken of. It comes down to the very basic and the very vital question, what think ye of Christ? That's what your salvation is based upon, Christ. Let me give you an example. 
Come over with me to Luke 23. The dying thief. Dying thief's hanging upon the cross. He's never been baptized. He never will be baptized. He's never been catechized. And yet when you look at those verses from Luke 23 and the verses 40 down to 43, the dying thief believes everything in relation to Jesus Christ. Luke 23 and the verse 40, it says, But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. He said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Whenever you look at these verses, all of those different parts of Christology that we mentioned previously, you find them all in this passage. Verse 40, 41 and 42, you have the doctrine of sin and the doctrine of eternal judgment. Because here is a man who is willing to confess his sin. He is willing to confess he's a sinner. He says, verse 41, we indeed justly, we receive the due reward of our sins. And verse 42, he says, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. In other words, he knows there's a hell. And he knows there's a judgment and so he's coming and he's asking for the Lord's forgiveness. Verse 41, you see the sinless perfection of Christ. Because the dying thief says, this man hath done nothing amiss. He is fully accepting that Christ had no sin. That Christ did not deserve to be on a cross. That Christ had no sin or had no fault within his being, whether in thought, word or in deed. Verse 42, he believes in the deity of Christ. Because he says, Lord, remember me. Verse 42, he's believing in the atonement for sin. Because again, he's coming to Christ for his salvation, even as Christ hangs upon the cross. Verse 42, he's believing in the death of Christ. Because he says, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. In other words, he knows Christ's about to die. Verse 42, again you have the resurrection. Because he's saying, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. In other words, your death is not the end. Verse 42, you have salvation by grace through faith alone. Because he is not trying to do anything and he's not willing or he's not saying, Lord, if I do this. He's simply putting all of his trust and faith in the Lord's grace. Lord, remember me. Verse 43, he believes in the fallibility of Scripture. Because what Christ says, Verily I say unto thee, or truly I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. He accepts God's word. That which comes out of Christ's mouth, that's what he believes. He doesn't question it. He doesn't ignore it. He doesn't seek anything else. That which Christ says... He puts all of his trust, his belief, his faith in it. Now the dying thief, he couldn't rhyme off any verses of scripture. He couldn't show attendance. He couldn't show participation in church. But what did he do? He believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Romans 10 and 9. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. But if one denies Christ, if one denies the Lord, even as it says here in verse 1 of chapter 2, denying the Lord that bought them and bring them upon themselves swift destruction. Anyone, regardless of what office they hold, if they deny the Lord Jesus Christ, they cannot be saved. That's why such individuals are so dangerous to the church. Individuals are standing up in a pulpit and they're not preaching Christ and him crucified and they're bringing any other gospel. They are what? Anathema. They're to be cursed. And individuals standing in pulpits have done so much damage and are so dangerous to those that need to hear the word. They're dangerous for their denials. But thirdly and finally, I want you to see the verse 2. They're also dangerous for their debauchery. Their debauchery. Verse 2, it says, Many shall follow their pernicious ways. Verse 2 speaks of pernicious ways. What that is speaking of is lasciviousness. In other words, immoral acts. Jude will accuse the false teachers. Jude verse 4, I mentioned it earlier, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. You have therefore the reason of why they were deniers of Christ. They denied Christ so that they could live the life that they wanted to live. They denied Christ so that they could follow after their own lusts. After all, a child of God is exhorted and encouraged and commanded be ye holy for i am holy christ has set the standard we are to be christ-like if we are to be saved then we are not only to believe in the lord but then our salvation is shown the evidence is shown even by our fruits by their fruits ye shall know them and so if we are saved we are to be christ-like we are to be holy we're to turn away from the sins of the world the lusts of the flesh But if you deny Christ, well, you can do what you want. That was what Jeremiah saw in his day. Jeremiah 23 in the verse 14, he writes and he says, I have seen also in the prophets of Jerusalem a horrible thing. They commit adultery and the walk and lies. They strengthen also the hands of evildoers that none doth return from his wickedness. <coughs> that was happening in Christ's day. You see, not even in how the Lord spoke and how the Lord condemned the Pharisees. The woes to the scribes to the Pharisees. In Matthew 23, the verse 28, he says, Ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. It's happening in our day. The Kenneth Copelands, the Benny Hens, the Joel Osteens, and the Joyce Myers, leading thousands away from the Lord to satisfy their own lusts of wealth and of fame. Isn't that what it's saying in verse 3? Through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you. Those men and that woman that I mentioned, 
millionaires. Whenever they go around the country, go to different nations, they get the five-star hotel treatments, private jets, massive mansions. They're moved by money. Thousands are following after them, prosperity gospel. These preachers are showing, look what I have, you can have it. Never a word about Christ. Never a word about the cross, never a word about sin. Oh, what a danger these people are to the church of Christ. Because their actions, their lives only bring shame upon the name of the Lord. Because they say, oh, I'm a Christian. And yet that's their life. Oh, I'm a follower of God. And that's their practice. And so the ungodly will look at them and think, is that what it is? Is that what Christianity is meant to be? Means then men and women are damning their own souls. Those preachers are damning their own souls. And those who follow them. The blind are leading the blind. So whenever there's a danger of false teachers, what are we to do? Because the danger is still there for us today. Well, as I mentioned earlier, 1 Peter 5 and 8, we're to be sober, to be vigilant. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 21, it very simply says this, Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. In other words, you hear a preacher, well, you make sure that preacher is preaching from the book. And you can look at the book and you can follow it and you can see, yes, that is what God is saying. He's not simply bringing a new philosophy or a new theology or a new gospel he's simply preaching what is in the book you don't simply whenever a man preaches you don't just simply go well he must know what he's talking about you prove it you study it for yourself you sit down and you listen yes and then you take home that which the Lord has given to you and you just glean it and you prepare it and you chew over it as were like the cow chews the cud and you just go over it and over it and you study the scriptures and you see is this what God is saying? That which has been of God then you hold fast. That which has been of man then you forget and you ignore but if any man ever takes anything away from the Lord Jesus Christ and his salvation, then make sure that's the last time you ever hear him. Without Christ, if he denies anything to do with Jesus Christ, then certainly you deny him your time. You deny him your attention. You prove all things. We follow after the Lord. The Lord bless his word to our hearts this evening.